today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. How many of you collected hockey cards or, or baseball cards, maybe even CFL or NFL or NBA cards when you were a kid? Probably a lot of you because it was, it was huge back in the day and I was very much into it when I was a kid. I remember one time, <laughs> I got in trouble for this too. I think it was in grade, I don't know, four or five, somewhere in that range. And I had saved up just a, 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 a mitt full of quarters because I wanted to get the latest, greatest hockey cards, the, those old, old peachy hockey cards. So at lunchtime at school one day, uh, I ate my lunch, but I ate it not in the lunchroom or in my classroom, as we would. I ate it on the way to the corner store to get myself a bunch of hockey cards, and I got a thick stack of OPGs. I must have bought, I don't know, 20 packs. And way back when, I mean, they were what? 25 cents? 50 cents, maybe? So I got a truckload of OPG hockey card packs. And because, you know, in in the playground at recess, this is what we did. Yeah, we played some games. We also traded hockey cards. Got them, got them, got them, got them. Hey, I need that one. I need that Wayne Gretzky rookie card. (laughs) Can you trade me? And then you would fight over it and you would bicker over it. And and maybe, just maybe, you would convince someone to trade that card to you. And I got in trouble because, you know, my mom, who had been giving me, you know, these quarters for chores, was upset that I had spent this money on hockey cards, of all things. And yes, I was one of those kids that had, you know, a bunch of, I'm, I'm sure, Gretzky rookies and all those valuable cards that at one point, uh, as they were scattered, you know, all over my room, my mom dumped them into a garbage bag, and out they went. Who knows how many millions of dollars were thrown away in kids' basements and bedrooms because their mothers were sick and tired of seeing these hockey cards all over the place. I will say this. I'm not a collector anymore, although I, I, I still do have thousands, and I'm not kidding, thousands of hockey and baseball cards in my basement. They're all packed away. They're not scattered about. And every time I'm in a store and I see a pack of cards, whether it's baseball or hockey or whatever, I still have that itch to buy a pack and open it up and discover the wonder that's inside. Card collecting really reached its peak in the 90s with the emergence of companies like Upper Deck. They really brought the quality of cards to a new level. Fast forward from the early 90s to 2021, and there's a whole new kind of card collecting phenomenon taking shape. And you may have heard about it. It's called NFTs, non-fungible tokens. What the heck is that? What's an NFT? Sounds like something you would fill on your tax form. No, it's a unit of data that is stored on a blockchain. That certifies that you have a digital asset, basically. And, and you own this you know, photo or video or an audio piece or, or a, a type of digital file, basically. Now, using this, sports fans can buy and sell these NFTs or these video clips of their favorite stars. For instance, Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, star receiver uh, Brandon Banks, he was the first CFL player to have an NFT. This happened back in April, and they auctioned it off for charity. So, you know, great idea, great cause, and someone now has a Brandon Banks NFT. According to Forbes, NFTs have stormed on the market, with the value of 38 NFTs tracked by a company called CoinMarketCap, mushrooming more than eightfold to $22.5 billion during the first quarter of 2021. That's serious money. 
Moshe Lander is a senior lecturer in the economics of sports, gaming, and gambling at Concordia University. He joins us now on The Bill Kelly Show. Moshe, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Why have NFTs become so popular? Because we've been locked down for 15 months <laughs> and something to do. This is, this is the classic case of a speculative bubble, and we're watching it happen in real time. So how do these things work? I mentioned this is a digital asset. Where are people keeping these? How are they being displayed? Describe for our listeners how these are purchased and then, uh, I guess, displayed for our enjoyment. So I really appreciated your OPG recollections. I grew up in London, which is where OPG was based. So I grew up on uh, collecting hockey cards and baseball cards and things like that. So the, the analogy is that for those of us that did have that experience growing up, right, your card would have a static picture of maybe somebody who was in the middle of a play. Sometimes they were posed pictures or things like that. When you buy the card, you don't actually own the player. You don't own the goal they might have scored on the play in action. You don't own anything other than just you have a picture and on the back some statistics. If somebody else decides that they want that picture like you were describing, you know, you can trade it, you can sell it, you can bargain it off. And so NFTs are essentially the digitized version of that experience. So now instead of just having a static picture of somebody, you can have a LeBron James dunk, or you can have a Connor McDavid goal, or you can have uh, a body check and somebody going flying into the stands, or whatever it is that you know you can you can digitize. The the thing that made cards valuable was their scarcity. If only say five cards of Wayne Gretzky's rookie year were left in print, then their value goes up because there's not that many around. And so scarcity here is created by only so many digital videos are created of a particular LeBron James dunk. And you can track that by using that blockchain technology where you know exactly how many exist, who owned them before you, and after you sell it, who's going to be the the recipient of it. So when an NFT is created, because there's a creative aspect to it, you have to create the video clip or at least edit it or, or whatnot, is there only one of them or are they creating multitude NFTs of, let's say, LeBron James dunk? Right. So it, exactly like with hockey cards where, you know, when you buy a pack and, you know, there were six cards in a pack, the, the real treat was when you got that exclusive card that, you know, only a limited number were in print. So for a LeBron James dunk, maybe only a hundred of them are created. Maybe a million of them are created. Through the blockchain technology, you would know which number you have out of those that were created. So, you know, if a hundred LeBron James dunks are created on video and you own number three, that means that of the hundred that are out there, you acquired the third of those videos. That might create a little more status than if you own the 98 of those hundred videos. It's still the same video. Uh, but the fact is that maybe some value is created that you're kind of higher up on the, uh, on the list. Uh, and that might entice some people to, to pay a little bit more of a premium. I mentioned earlier that uh, Tiger Cats receiver Brandon Banks was the sur- first CFL player to be involved in the NFT phenomenon, and that money went to charity. When someone buys an NFT, does that money go to the athletes, the team, the league, all of the above? So the league is going to take a cut, and at some point we're going to see the business model evolve that you know, you're going to have uh, middlemen that are going to kind of jump in and try and broker deals or try and create uh, a, a more 
fluid digital marketplace, and they're probably going to want to cut too, but uh, much in the same way that once you buy the initial pack of cards, that money would go to OPG, and OPG would share some of that money with the NHL as a licensing agreement. Same thing here, that when you buy that video clip, some of the money's going to go to the NBA or the NHL, or whichever sports league it is that you're buying. Some of it might filter down to the athlete, depending on what the licensing arrangements are between the league and their players' association, and that's where they're going to create some money kind of in the, in the primary market. We're chatting with Moshe Lander, Senior Economics Lecturer with Concordia University here on The Bill Kelly Show on 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick in for Bill today. We're chatting about the NFT phenomenon. Um, NFTs certainly have stormed onto the scene over the last, I'd say, you know, few months or so. Um, but it appears that some of the some of them, their value is not as valuable as when they were first being sold. They're being resold, and those sellers are not getting as much as they originally had paid for. Why, why is this happening? What's going on? Again, it's a it's a supply and demand sort of thing, right? So when you buy something and you believe it to have certain value. Um, the fact is that at some later point, it might not, right? It's the same thing. You know, you buy a car at some point, it loses its value. Um, some of these uh, clips that you're buying maybe aren't as unique as you thought, or maybe what you thought was, you know, to use a ridiculous example, let's say that, uh, you know, you buy an O.J. Simpson clip of him running down uh, the field for the Bills, and then you kind of realize that O.J. Simpson also has a little bit of a backstory as well. That might reduce some of the value when you realize, I, I don't want to hold this. I- I'm not too connected to who this person is, and maybe nobody else wants to hold it either. So it- it's a market force that's driving that value just like any other commodity. I wonder how many people would rather have an O.J. Simpson Bronco Chase NFT <laughs> than a highlight clip. That would be interesting. But that's exactly it, right? Once you go down this path, you know, sports is kind of the natural place for this sort of thing. But at some point, you can have clips from TV shows or from movies, you know, who wouldn't want to own like, you know, the Jack Nicholson, uh, you can't handle the truth scene or something like that, where yeah, you can turn these into NFTs, and you can just start selling them off. And it's, it's an entire new way to start making money. Uh, based on things that at the end of the day, remember, the person who has that NFT can't actually use it for anything other than just they own it the way that you would own a hockey card. In saying that, are we possibly on the verge of an NFT explosion if, you know, Hollywood gets involved, more musicians get involved? I know there was an American artist by the name of Beeple that sold a digital work of art for $69 million at auction. Uh, There was an augmented reality house designed by an architect that recently sold for millions. So is it more than just the sports world that may be capitalizing on this in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody else is going to start piling in when they see all the money that the you know the NBA is is making off of this deal. The the thing is though that like I said at the outset, it's a bubble. Um, much in the same way that art will have cycles, and same thing with art. That really, once you buy that art, you can't do anything with it other than just hang it on your wall or lend it out to a museum. People are going to quickly realize that once you own this LeBron James clip, you can't actually do anything with it. You can't profit from it. You can't sell that. Um, you know, on your website, other than merely to just sell the video on to somebody else who wants to own it. So much in the same way that you don't own anything other than just a picture on a hockey card, you can't actually use this NFT as a way to generate money other than to sell it on to somebody else. So in a way, it's kind of a weird sort of like Ponzi scheme almost, where unless the next person is prepared to pay more, um, there's no means for you to generate income from owning that NFT. And so I think at some point the market is going to quickly realize that, wait a second, 
we need to kind of rethink the business model, and it's going to have to evolve. I know the incredibly rare Honus Wagner T206 a baseball card is sold at auction for millions of dollars. Wayne Gretzky's rookie card, I think, broke a record of $1.29 million back in December at auction. LeBron James, he had a record-tying $5.2 million rookie card sell at auction just a month ago. Those cards have been in existence for years now. Do you get the sense that NFT values will increase over time for, for those really rare ones? They might. Um, you know, I think the vast majority of them will quickly fall to zero. Or, you know, if you go into what's left of kind of card stores and tradable stores, you'll find that, you know, the vast majority of them are priced under a dollar. But maybe there's a few that are kind of in the hundred dollar range. And maybe those extreme cases, like you said, of the millions. I think that that's what's ultimately going to happen with the NFT market is that you're going to find that maybe those very, very exclusive videos are going to gain some degree of value. But again, you know, how are you going to be able to uh, cash in on that value with at least a card, I can put it under glass and I can put it, you know, on my table or I can put it up on my wall. I guess, you know, if technology advances, you could have like your screensaver is just an ongoing run of these clips or that key block or this key save or something like that. Uh, but again, it's going to be very difficult to move beyond the idea that it's merely just something that you show and how many people are prepared to actually pay in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for something that's just a digital clip that I could go find on YouTube if I really wanted. From what I've seen thus far, there has been a monetary transaction with NFTs. Can you trade NFTs? If I had a Connor McDavid NFT and you had an Austin Matthews one, I said, hey, I want that Leaf superstar and you can have, you know, the Oilers icon. Can we trade them? Not really, because that blockchain technology just means that you're going to sell it on. And so the blockchain technology is going to keep track of everybody who's owned it. So unless you happen to be able to be in the perfect place at the perfect time that you can buy that particular uh, NFT, and then I can buy your particular NFT, um, I could buy that clip, but it might not be from you. And you could buy my clip, but it might not be from me. It might be from somebody else. And, you know, that's kind of the digital marketplace that um, if, if I wanted to trade a bag of Doritos uh, for your Twix bar, then that's easy for us to do because we physically have that in our possession. But if we're talking about trading something that's digitized, that's going to be very difficult for us to merely just do like a file transfer uh, because that blockchain technology is going to keep track of every single owner on the list. And it's not so easy to just transfer it to somebody else like you could with, say, e-transfer in cash. Depending on the flavor of the Doritos, I might just keep the Twix. I don't know about you. Uh, you mentioned the bubble. Um, what's the lifespan here? When is it going to burst, so to speak? Um, I think once people realize that they really don't have anything that they can do right now with <laughs> that NFT, right? So, um, again, because we've been locked down, right, it's just kind of something where all of this serve money that's being pumped into the economy, it has to go somewhere, right? So we've seen you know, real estate markets get out of control, stock markets are out of control, and people are looking for that next big thing. But at some point, there's going to be that sober thought, probably you know, I don't know, a year to two years out, where people realize, what exactly is it that I bought, and why can't I find anybody who's interested in buying it? I, I think they just kind of got caught up in this idea of the phrase NFT and the idea of the blockchain technology, which is what's behind Bitcoin, which is, of course, itself a, a bubble right now. And so I think this kind of perfect storm is what's driving it. Once people kind of realize that, yeah, there's, there's nothing really here, you got maybe a year to two years before the, the bottom falls out here. I get the same sense that that's going to happen to all the Peloton people who've you know invested thousands upon thousands of dollars in, in a company that you know does great and, and keeps people fit. But once the pandemic is over, I have a feeling that, yeah, why did I buy this thing? You know, it, it kept me busy for a few months, but now I don't really want it. 
you know, that type of thing, though, made Suzanne Summers rich. I mean, yeah. you know, sign masters and things like that, right? You know, at the time when you're kind of shut in, you feel like, hey, this is a great thing. And then at some point, it just sits there and collects dust or it becomes, you know, a coat hanger where you just throw stuff on it. And yeah, you're right. It, it, it's exactly one of those things that it's going to become a bit of a relic where we kind of look back and say, wow, that's how we passed for 15 months locked indoors. <laughs> Let's hope it's just 15 months and, and it'll end soon. Moshe, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Moshe Lander is a senior lecturer in the economics of sports, gaming, and gambling at Concordia University. A very interesting insight into non-fungible tokens, NFTs. And if you're in the market for one, hey, dive in. I mean, it's a lot of fun if you have the money to spend and you want something unique that you can display uh, in, in your living room or bedroom or basement, man cave, whatever the case is. Uh, go for it. Have a little fun if, if you are financially... Uh, able to do so. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.